We're saying, listen, if I'm happy, if I'm content, if I have all that I desire, then God is being good to me. But if I'm struggling, if I'm having a tough time, if I'm not happy, then God is nowhere to be found. That's a horrible place to be. Is believing that your God does not know where you are. That your God does not know what you need. That your God has withdrawn from you and allowed you to suffer by yourself. So does God do that? Absolutely. Sometimes he does it in order to correct us, but it's done in love. I want you to realize that the God who is love is the one who is pulling the strength in your life. Amen. And even though you can't understand it, even though you can't fit it into your theology, God has a wonderful, beautiful plan. One day, you'll see it. One day, you'll rejoice over it. One day, you'll look back and you'll go, man, I never in my life ever could have imagined what God had in store for me. What a, what a great promise. So they're in Babylon, they're hurting, and they're they're praying and they're asking God to deliver them. Isaiah says that God had not forgotten his people. That's a good verse. That's a good promise. Even all the way in the darkness of Babylon, God still remembered them. This there verses in the scripture that tells us that, that uh, you know, can a leopard forget his spots? Well, probably not, because they're there. Can a mother Forget her nursing child. Absolutely not. Impossible. The scripture says, even that's possible, but God never forgets you. Never. So no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself this morning, listen, your God has not forgotten you. Whether you're sitting in the middle of Babylon and, and you're being attacked by the enemy and he's continually after you, listen, I want you to know something that your God has not forgotten you. I remember a verse that says, listen, seek first God. Seek first his righteousness. And all things will be added unto you. And the verses before that, you know what this says? It talks about Clothing. He said, look, don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about... Listen, your God in heaven knows you have a need for all of that. Do you realize that your God knows when you need a good laugh? He does. Listen, your God knows the hairs on your head. And I like saying that uh, some of us, that's not as big a miracle as others, but I'm telling you, that's a miracle. It changes every day. I had a little knot in my hair the other day. I combed it and it, it came out. I'll tell you, I lost half the one hair I had. Just in one knot. And it got through the cap after I ripped it out. It's an amazing thing. So here's Ezra. Here's Ezra. And God moved on Cyrus. The Persian, the Persian king. 
God had sent him enough prophets, sent him enough miracles, sent him enough stuff to convince him that he was the true and living God. And this pagan decided that he was going to help Israel. So he allows them to go back to Jerusalem. He allows them to go back and inhabit their, their country. And he gives them, he gathers up all of the artifacts, all of the instruments and utensils that came out of the, out of the temple. He gives them back to the Israelites and says, listen, you go back and you rebuild that temple. And he goes, I want you to go back. And don't forget that you tell God, the God of Israel, that I'm the one that's doing this because I will be blessed. That's a pagan. God took a pagan king and blessed Israel and brought about their deliverance. He writes these letters of, of authority for them to go and to take. In fact, there's one story that I really like where these bad guys come up and they say, listen, they're going to cause a problem because they're starting to work on the temple. And so they go and they say, listen, these Israelites are doing this thing, and I want you to know they're going to cause problems for your kingdom. And so the is so I think it's Darius later on. He looks up in the law and finds the orders of Cyrus, and he turns right around and he says, "You know what? I'll tell you what. Since you're causing the problem, bringing me this information, since you're accusing these people and they're following the law, I'll tell you what you do. You pay for what they're doing." So even the people that were trying to attack them, God was protecting them and making them pay a price for the will of God in their life. That's pretty good. They meant it for evil, God meant it for good. <laughs> so Cyrus writes this letter and he blesses them. And then we get to chapter 3 of Ezra. And when the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in the cities, and the people gathered together as one man in Jerusalem. So as, we're, as they're beginning to try and restore their life spiritually, as they're beginning to restore their relationship with God, as they are seeking this, this union that they once had with God, I want you to realize that one of the first things that they did First off, I, let me back up just a second and say this. You realize that God was already planning this? God was already working this? In fact, all the things that Cyrus did, God had already planned. God was already putting the things together so that now Israel could begin to do what they were supposed to do. Isn't that cool? Listen, the Lord's doing stuff you ain't even got a clue about. Amen? He's God. I think if we could get a hold of that one concept, He is God. There is no higher authority. There is no one else. He is literally God. He can do anything He wants to do. Anything. Hallelujah. That's who we serve. That's who loves us. That's who's working on our behalf. And you know, Paul says, look, who can separate us? Man, nobody can separate us from our God and the love of our God. Nobody. If God is for us, who in the world can be against us? What an incredible thing. There's not a dictator on this planet. There's not a government on this planet. There's not any power <coughs> above or below or in the spiritual that can separate you from 
your God. Think about it. What a glorious thing. So they gather together. They're beginning to, the Lord has laid the foundations. He has laid the groundwork through this, this pagan Persian king. And now they are gathered back together in Jerusalem. Why do you think he went to Jerusalem? I think it's because that's where they lost God. They knew it was a holy city. Amen. They didn't make it that way. Amen. I mean, you know, we're going to go back where we lost it. They already had the promises from the prophets. The prophets said, listen, one day you're going to go back. One day it's going to be there. One day you're going to be reestablished. And one day we will meet together again in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. They had promises they were living on. They went back to Jerusalem because that's what God said to build the temple. That's where they lost it. So they go back. And I want you to see that one of the first steps that they took is they were in unity as one man. So the first thing that they began to do is they began to rebuild their lives spiritually is this. They put away all those petty, all of those nonsensical all of those things that separated them. Amen? They had one goal in mind. They weren't arguing over the trumpet. You know why? Because a relationship with God was on the line. They didn't argue over the petty bitterness and the petty fights that we, we drum up among ourselves as believers. Listen, they laid all of that aside because you've got to understand it was life and death for them. They had to find God. And what somebody had done to them, what somebody had, how, however someone had wronged them, it was irrelevant anymore. Literally, they said, we are coming together as one. We are brothers. We are sisters. We no longer are at odds with one another. Let me tell you this, folks. I'm telling you, that was worth the trip to battle bring the body of, of God back together in unity. You start fighting among yourselves. You start pulling up little bitternesses and little, little, little offenses and wrongs. And I promise you, you're on your way to the doghouse with God. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I have looked at people and I have thought, man, God, they should not have done that to me. And I begin to Start building my arsenal. You know what I mean? I start building the fort. I start getting ready to fight my own brother or sister in the Lord. And all of a sudden, I hear this still small voice that's like a foghorn going off in my heart saying, Did I not forgive you? Did I not die on a cross to forgive you of all of your trespasses and offenses against me? And when I begin to measure up their offense against me to my offense against God, I realize, man, I've got a great deal. Jesus has forgiven me. I need to forgive them. It's very powerful. Because even Jesus said, look, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. <clears throat> You're in battle. You're sitting there wondering what happened, sitting there under the taskmasters. You're sitting there not enjoying life at all. 
because you have chosen to be unforgiving. You've chosen to be bitter. You've chosen not to forgive as Jesus forgave you. But now one of the first things they did is said, listen, we, we have learned our lesson. We ain't gonna fight about ourselves anymore. We are going for God. And one of the first things they did is they unified their hearts. If you've got somebody here that you offended, somebody that's offended you, you might want to walk up to them and say, listen, we ain't got time for this. There's too much at stake. Listen, my relationship with Jesus Christ is much more important to me. And my relationship with you is much more important to me than this little struggle we got going on. And watch the grace of God begin to move. Watch all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord begin to fall upon you again. Watch once again as love begins to flow for you. Watch once again as you unify your heart with God and you give grace where grace is needed. Are they the one? <laughs> We hear that. We ain't going back to Babylon. You realize that there were some Israelites that never, ever left Babylon. They were given the letters. They were given the opportunity. They were given the invitation. They were given the right and the ability to come and to possess Jerusalem once again. To come and possess the promise that God had given them. And they refused to do so. They stayed in Babylon because they were safer there. They were more comfortable living as a Babylonian than living as an Israelite. God have mercy. But let me tell you this. The promises are in Jerusalem. <laughs> the glory is in Jerusalem. The joys are in Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Now look, Babylonians. I know Brother Stan is a lot better at this than I am. I'm going to take a stab at a few of these. Then Jeshua also could be Joshua. Also is a derivative that we get Jesus from. There's a lesson here. Then Jeshua, the son of Josedat, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel. The, we mean Zerubbabel's here. Okay. The son of Shatiel, his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses and the man, uh, the man of God. So they come first off with, with, with uh, unity. The next thing that they come with is they began to reestablish worship. They began to reestablish this opportunity, this point of connection between them and God. In fact, uh, other places in the scripture, it, it gives us an indication that they literally went out and they began to look over all of the devastation. They began to dig around and they found the exact place where the altar of God belonged and that's where they built their altar. They went and sought it out. That one place, that one holy place where God would meet their sacrifice, that one place they began to reestablish their altar. Now, one other thing that was kind of interesting about this is this, is they were not allowed to take stones that had been hewn at all. That means that any stone that was 
that was cut upon by man was considered defiled and they could not use those stones to create and to rebuild the altar. They had to go find the stones that were shaped by God and God alone. That's cool, isn't it? That's good preaching. You don't hear that in this family. But anyway, I hope he gets a copy of this. He'll never let me know what to Isn't that cool? Man, God provided this rock. It looks perfect. It'll fit right here in this spot. Now, we need one that's kind of shaped like this. You go out and search. You find that which God has provided. You pick it up and you're going to... Man, it's just right. It goes exactly where it should go on this altar that God wants us to build. And they began to rebuild this place, this altar, this holy place. They began to reestablish the things that they used, the things that they needed to relate to their God. And is that not worship? You know, I don't know what it is that, that blesses you. It might be a song. It might be a verse. It might be a hug from a brother or sister. I don't know. But whatever that thing is, that personal thing that God has given you as a point of connection between Him, I encourage you. That, man, you, you take care of all the sin between you and other people, and then you come back, and you and God meet alone at the place things as they should be. You'll notice that they, they went back to the scripture. They went back to the word. They literally went back to the commands of Moses on how to build this altar. And I encourage you that as you're trying to rebuild this spiritual life of yours, that you go back to the book, that you go back to the word of God. What is it that God is saying to you? What are the stones that you need to add in that God has provided to you to add in to your altar? What is it that God desires from you? Listen, He's given you a playbook. He's given you the revelation. He's given you all that you need pertaining to life and godliness. You need to rebuild the altar in your life. You know, if you're too busy to spend time with Jesus, you're too busy. You're created. You were made to, to connect. You were made to worship. You were made to be one. You were made to have a relationship with God. And if you don't have a good working, a good loving relationship with God, you are missing out. Amen. Nothing is going to fit. Nothing is going to seem right. Nothing is going to satisfy you. I don't care if you're living in a palace in Babylon. It is still Babylon. No. The world can never ever satisfy because it's all external. It all fades away, is it not? The only way you can be satisfied is for your heart to be one with your Creator. So whether it's a song, whether it's prayer, whether it's 
coming to the altar, where, whatever it is that God is leading you to do to begin the first works, do it again. And I honestly think that, that, that God places within you the things that you need to do. Faithful as He calls you, who will also do it. Faithful as He who's guiding you and leading you and preparing you, who will also do the work in you and for you. Amen? That's a good promise. So they began to rebuild the altar based on the law of Moses. Verse 3, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. So, listen, it wasn't easy. You know, they were worried about how the inhabitants, remember they were supposed to drive these people out of their country. When they got carried off to Babylon, the country became infested with other people. And when they began to move and they began to do things towards uh, reestablishing their kingdom and reestablishing their relationship with God, something very interesting happened is they began to be fearful of the people that were around them. They were afraid what they would do. They were afraid that they might war against them. They were afraid of, of them coming against them and attacking them. But I want you to realize that, man, for them, it was more important to reestablish their relationship with God than to worry about the fears of what men were going to do to them. So how will I be looked at? How will I be received? What will my family think? You know? What will they do to me at work if I began to stand and I began to follow after the precepts of God? It might, make them a little, it might make you a little nervous. You might even be fearful of what they might do to you. But I want you to realize something. And when you get a, a grasp of the vision of what God is doing, it will overcome the fears of this life. To state it plainly, it was worth everything to them to do what God was calling them to do. It was worth everything. For them to regrow Jerusalem, it was worth everything for them to have their country back. It was worth everything for them to worship their God and have no hindrance whatsoever. It was worth it all. No matter what men would do to them, it was still worth it all. I think I heard somebody say just this other day, the courage is not the absence of fear. The courage is going forward even when you're afraid. And let me just add this. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of a He's peace and love. He, he has provided for you. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. When you look let me just remind you that when Goliath is standing in front of you, all you got to do is look up above him. There's a God there. There's a God there who's for you and not against you. A God that's willing to take care of you. Let's look down at verse, where did I end at? Six? 
us all with you. Verse 4. Now let's go to 3. Nope, let's go to 4. Here. Now don't tell Brother Stan about that. That's embarrassing. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. I'm telling you, folks, this is getting good. When they're beginning to try and establish this relationship in this kingdom once again, they came, they came before God in unity. They began to establish the altars. They began to establish their worship once again. They established their commitments through their sacrifices where they were giving them morning and evening. And now I want you to see that they are pursuing God in a spirit of thanksgiving. They were thankful. God, I'm thankful for this rock you gave me to put on the altar. God, I'm thankful that we're back in Israel. I thank you, Lord, that we're back in Jerusalem. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters that are helping with what we've got. I'm thankful, Lord, for that Persian king's heart. Lord, I'm thankful for all the riches and blessings that you've given. Lord, we are thankful. Listen, they have gone back to celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was a memorial of what God did in providing for them as they were walking through the wilderness. One of the things they would do is they would all go back and live in tents. They'd still go good. They'd go live in a tent to remind them of what it was like to be in the wilderness. And while they're living in their tent, they're thanking God for their cities. They're thanking God for their food. They're thanking God for everything. Every provision that God made for them, they were being thankful. So you're one with your brothers. You've established once again your worship and your altar. You've renewed your commitments to God through your sacrifice. And now you are thanking God for the journey that he has brought you through. And let me just say this. When I hear a Christian, and when I see a brother or sister in the Lord, and they're thankful, I know, I know a couple of things about them. One thing I know about them is this, is they have a right grasp of who God is. I also know that they have a right understanding of who they are and their abilities and their resources. And I also know this about it too, is they have a good grasp of the revelation of what God is doing in their life and in His world. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when God begins to open His plan to you, when God begins to amaze you with what He can do in your life and in your circumstances, I'm going to tell you that the natural response of your heart, your created heart, is to offer up thanksgiving. If you're not thankful, you're in the dark. If you're not thankful, you're unforgiving. If you're not thankful, you're not worshiping. If you're not thankful, you are not right with God. Because you can't help it. You need to be thankful. So, well, so and so has more than I do. Listen, you be thankful for what you have. So and so may be. 
Okay, let's leave that alone. You got that. Verse 5 says, after they were thankful, after they offered the, uh, the regular burnt offerings, those for new moons and for all the, listen, they've done everything. They've put it all back in. They've got the whole order of worship going now. They're celebrating all the feasts, all the festivals, all the sacrifices. They're not missing a lick. They're doing everything that God had commanded them to do in the beginning. In fact, if they had been doing all this all along, they wouldn't have a trip through Babylon. Amen? So here they are. What are they doing? You going to church again? Yeah, it's Tuesday night. What are you thinking? Listen, I'm offering up a sacrifice. Verse 6. Well, let's just catch the last of fire. It says, They did all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated. Those of everyone who willingly offer a free will offering to the Lord. He said, Listen, he said, This is crazy. He said, People are going above board. They're not just doing what the law requires. They were actually doing more than that. Let me say it another way. They are giving themselves wholly to God. They're not just giving God 10%. And this isn't, you know, this isn't a tithing message. Even though Brother Stan probably won't be doing one. Um, this isn't a tithing message. This is these people saying, we are all in. Listen, everything that I am, everything that I have, all of my children, all of my lands, all of the blessings that God has given me, I return them back to him for him to use me as he desires. They didn't just give what the law required. They were giving more and more and more. Why? Because they were thankful. Why? Because they wanted to honor God. Why? Because in some small way, somehow, God takes pleasure in that, and we want to please Him. You know, we do crazy things for people we love, don't we? I mean, take the thing about back in high school. You know, you walk up to your favorite girl, your favorite guy, and you go, Here, my cleats, let's go stay. You know? It says that they find in verse seven or verse six, excuse me, that they had finished laying, or they began to lay the, the, 
floor of the temple, foundations of the temple. And they began to give, and they gave, in verse 7, they gave money to the masons, and they gave money to carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the permission which they had received from the Cyrus, king of Persia. So they were sacrificed, sacrificially given because they were in love. And I, I saw something really curious. I, and I'm going to end with this kind of this, this, this little narrative of what happened after that. So you see, they're well on their way. Listen, the work had not been completed. But what had been completed before they began to build the temple is they had once again reestablished their unity. Once again, they had reestablished their relationship with God. They did it through unity. They did it through worship. They did it through commitment. They did it through thanksgiving. They did it through giving. They did it through sacrifice. They did all of that before they even began to build the temple of God. The Lord always does an internal work before he begins You want Northside to grow? You get right with God. You. You. You want God to make this place a place of life, a place of, of salvation, a place of glory for God? Listen, you get right with God this start. Do you know the Welsh revivals began with two little old ladies that were praying? And they began to cry out, and it went all the way through the, uh, the islands of the Hebrides. It went all the way through. But they began to seek God. They were one. They worshipped. They offered their thanksgiving and their commitments to the Lord. So they began to lay this little foundation. The scripture tells the rest of this chapter that the, the priests will call upon us, and the Levites come in, and they, they put on their priestly robes. Can you imagine? I've got a clerical robe, and it, it, I, I look good in it. I just want you to know. I mean, it is cool. It's got these red crosses on it. I'm telling you. I should have worn it today. Man, you know, I'm totally, absolutely blown away with how cool I love it. But they put on their robes. And here's the Levites, here's the priests. I mean, these people have been in Babylon, you know. They've seen all the, the glories of the world. They've seen all the things that the, the world had to offer. They've seen all of that. And now all of a sudden, here's the Israelites with their Levites standing in front of them with their robes, the, the robes of their office. And you know that they're preparing themselves, they're sanctifying themselves to meet God, to invite God once again, to forgive the nation, to meet God and, and, and enjoy the presence of God in his house once again. And it says that there were other priests that they brought out the trumpets. <laughs> what a great scene. Everything is in its place. 
They haven't built anything yet. They just started with the foundation, but yet they're beginning to prepare themselves for the presence and the, the blessings of God. And it says that they begin to sin. And they begin to sing back and forth with each other. It's kind of cool, you know? It's like it's like almost in a rap, you know? We get this side singing, and then this side comes in and answers them, and, and then this side sings again, this side answers them. And, and they were singing, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. How do they know? How do they know that God is good? How do they know that his mercies endure forever? Because they were standing in the middle of Jerusalem. They were standing there seeing the promises of God fulfilled right before their eyes. Because they once again were experiencing his anointing, his presence. They were once again enjoying worship and enjoying the presence and the blessings of their God. They were being thankful. Because <laughs> God was good to them. Because there's a lot of them even though God had promised it, they had their doubts about whether or not they would ever see the good of God in the life they were living. It says that they began to shout. Amen? They were playing the symbol, you know, they were shouting for God. Because they were beginning to see the promises for so that the old men and some of the old guys that remembered the old temple, they began to weep. They said that other people, they began to shout for joy because they were, they were witnessing the move of God. They were witnessing the fulfillment of God's promise, God's plan in their life. In fact, they said that they were wailing and there was joy going on and there was so much shouting that you couldn't even tell what was wailing and what was joyous. I think that's kind of amazing. What a, what a sweet and smelling savor that must have been for God's ears. For God to receive. What an incense. What a, what a sacrifice. To hear those that are weeping for joy. Hear those that are shouting for joy. I bet that that sounded so wonderful to God that it was like a four part harmony. No. But as it rose up, it was a right sacrifice to a God who had done everything. So in the end, the promise that God had made for them was now finally clear, plain, and revealed. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I encourage you, I encourage you that God is for you. God is looking over you. God is preparing a way for you. He is making a way out of no way. So that you can once again begin to establish unity with each other. 
You can once again establish the altars, the prayer, the places of prayer, the places of sacrifice. You can once again reestablish your commitments. You can once again reestablish your sacrifices to God. You can once again begin to be thanksgiving and thankful for what God has done for you and what God has done for this fellowship. And I want you to know that once again, it will be a joy to be served you. Because as you seek Him, if you seek Him with your whole heart, guess what? You'll find Him. And once you've found Him, the search is over. Amen? There's rest. There's joy. There might even be a little dancing in the world. We could use a little bit more God. Amen? Amen. So I encourage you, this day, this day, you restore the old ways. Let God work in you so that you can once again be one with Him. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me?